before their top player is Boyle number 15 he uh, averages about 20 points a game buddy you gotta stick right with him no inside penetration shut down those passing lanes and you've got to play tough off those boards negate their height advantage past big speech time. I want to thank you for the last few months. It's been very special for me. Anybody have anything they want to say? Yeah. Let's win this and for all the small schools who never had a chance to get here. I want to win for my dad. Let's win for Coach. You got us here. Thank you. With God of Heaven, it is all one. To deliver with a great multitude or a small company. For the victory battle standeth not in the multitude of hosts, but strength cometh from heaven. And David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone and slung it. It struck the Philistine on the head, and he fell to the ground. Amen. you're thinking what's pete doing up there keep playing the movie i love that movie oh i love that movie i, I could watch that yes i'll tell you just what my wife's thinking right now yes i've seen it 147 times and if it's on tonight i will watch it again i love that movie who doesn't love that movie love it tiny hickory tiny hickory going up against the great state school champions there's no way they can win impossible that other school is bigger they're stronger they get more rebounds. They score more points. There is no way Hickory can defeat them. But somehow they do. It's the giant classic, David versus Goliath. The classic tale. <laughs> There's no way he can win, right? There's no way. It's impossible. It's the David and Goliath story. It's the stuff of which great movies are made. Anywhere from Hoosiers down to Air Bud. Come on, Air Bud, come on. It's David versus Goliath, and we all know the story, right? I don't care if this is your first day in church in your whole life. You know the story of David and Goliath. I was even talking to this kid. He was in fifth grade, and I was telling him about Jesus. He didn't go to church. His parents don't go to church. But I'm going to tell this kid about Jesus. So i got to figure out what he knows. You ever heard of Noah? Nope. 
Never heard of Noah. You ever heard of Samson? No. Hmm. How about Abraham? No. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter. Any of those guys? Nope. You ever heard of David and Goliath? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because we all know it. It's even a catchphrase in our society, right? When the little old lady goes up against a giant corporation in the courtroom, it's a David and Goliath story. And we all know the story, right? What's the story? Well, let's tell it in really short format, right? This big, giant behemoth of a man. He was huge. He was strong. Nobody wanted to fight this guy. Everybody was afraid of this guy. Everybody cowered in fear. But then one day, one young person stood up, and that person said, And Goliath couldn't believe his ears. And he came over and he looked and he said, are you kidding me? I'm a man. What am I, a dog that you sent a kid to fight your battles? But the kid stood firm. And the kid said, I will defeat you. And out of the packet, which fortunately for me today looks a lot like marshmallows, (laughs) took the stone from the packet, put it in his slingshot, and flung it and hit Goliath right in the forehead. Right, take two, right in the forehead. Right in the forehead. Right in the forehead. And Goliath fell dead. That's the story. That's the one we all know. And we all love it, right? We all love that story. But here's the hard question. What's it mean to us as Christians? Now, that's a little tougher question. So we have to think a little bit. What's that story mean? And then we come up with the answer. The answer is, because I can defeat the giants in my life, just like David defeated Goliath. It's the perfect Christian answer. So if you ever apply to be pastor at any town community church in any town USA and they ask you that question, that's the answer. You can defeat the giants in your life. Amen. Absolutely. But here's my problem with that story. I'm not always as brave as David. See, David defeated the giant in his life, but I'm not always that brave. I'm not brave enough to stand up. And maybe it's not in battle, but maybe God's asking me to stand up and say something. I'm not always that brave. And even when I do, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes I fail. So I stand up and I hear the call and I go like I think I should. And I fall down and I fail. So what good's the story doing me now? Because David defeated Goliath, but somehow I can't. So I did a little research. And here's what I found out. David didn't defeat Goliath. I know. You think he did. Because that's what you learned in Sunday school, right? But this is Sunday school for adults. This is where we go a little bit deeper. See, and a harsh truth that I need to share with you this morning is David didn't kill Goliath. I even told that to somebody this week, and he said, yes, he did. And I said, no, he didn't. See, now, if you still want to believe that, turn your hand out over. Because there's a nice drawing on the back that you can color. And you can stay right there. So you can believe that. You don't have to listen to me. Just color. I'll just talk for a while. You just color. You can just believe that side of it. But if you want to go a little deeper, let's flip it back to the other side. And let's see what God's word really has to say. Because it's my contention. Gary, you're going to color. Yeah, okay. (laughs) 
But see, it's my contention that David didn't kill Goliath. So if you believe me, or you maybe you have to believe me, come with me. So before we start, let's pray. Will you join me in that? Father God, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you, Lord, that uh, you have a message for every person in this room. And it's a message for today, Father God, and it's a message that's going to change something, that's going to make a difference in our lives, Lord. And it doesn't come from me. It comes from you, Father God, and it comes from your word, Lord. So I ask that our hearts be open, that our minds be open, that, that we're ready to receive what you want to say to us. Because only you can do that. Only you can change us. I can talk all I want, but only you make the difference, Lord. So I thank you for that. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so we're in the book of 1 Samuel, and we're going to read almost the entire chapter. Yes, unbelievable, but true. First Samuel 17. So if you've got your Bibles out, or you've got your little electronic gadgets, whatever you've got now, open them up to 1 Samuel 17. I don't care if you got the gadget, just don't be looking at Facebook at the same time. Okay, so we're in verse 1, 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. And this is what it says. Now the Philistines gathered their forces and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soko and Ezekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites the other with the valley between them. So they come out to battle each other. Why are they fighting? Well, they're fighting for one because they just don't like each other. It's been going on for years. They hate each other. Any chance they get, they're going to line up and they're going to battle against each other. Okay? What else are they battling against? Well, they're battling really for this piece of land right here. It's the valley that they're after. That valley right there. Nope. That valley right there. This is what they're battling over. And not the warehouse because it wasn't there at the time. Okay? So they're battling over this valley, this piece of land. Why are they fighting for this piece of land? Because this is the main road that leads into the city. If the Philistines can control this, they can pretty much control what goes in and out of the city. So that's why they're lined up for battle. And why are they on opposite hills? Why aren't they in the valley fighting? Because militarily, they want the high point. In a military battle, you want the high point if you can get it. You want the hill. I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase, is this the hill you want to die on? Because in military terms, you always go after the high point. You have to think, is this the hill I want to die on? Okay? If you're fighting with your kids, you've got to think, is this the hill I want to die on? Is this really worth the hill that I want to take? So it's those kinds of things that go on here. So they're on either side, and they're really frozen, one on one hill, one on the other. And they don't want to come down to the valley because then they lose the advantage. Then they're fighting uphill. And the other crews fighting downhill. Okay? So that's really the military advantage that they're looking for. So I don't know if you've ever been like that in your life with somebody. You're in a relationship, and they're on one hill, and you're on the other. And you're both mad at each other, but nobody wants to make the move. So you just stay there, and you're ready to fight. You're just waiting for that person to say something, because when they do, you're ready for them. That's kind of where they're at right now. Okay? So now we're down in verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs were bronze greaves, bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So he is a huge man. He is nine to ten feet tall. 
The armor that he's wearing weighs about 150 pounds. And the point of his spear, just the point of it, weighs over 20 pounds. Think about that, trying to fling that. Think about how big he has to be. Verse 8, Goliath shouted and stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up again battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. So that often used to happen in battles. Let's not all fight. You pick your best guy. I'll pick my best guy. Let those two go at it, and whoever wins, wins. So that was very common in these times. So this is what Goliath is doing, only Goliath has a little bit of advantage. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So this guy comes talking smack, doesn't he? Okay, you play basketball, you talk a little smack sometimes, don't you, Pastor Adam? Absolutely. Who's the best? I'm the best. That's right. Who do you think you are? No, I'm the best. I'm telling you right now. Let's go. Because I'm the best. See, you're talking smack. There's no way he's going to beat me on the basketball court, right? There's no way you guys can beat me. So this is what Goliath is saying to them. And he's so big and he's so loud and he's so powerful that they start to believe him. So look what he does here. I love this. First, he says, what are you even doing here? Why don't you even chill up, Adam? Can you even dribble? Can you even dribble the ball at him? Seriously, what are you even doing here? See, that's the first thing he says. And the second thing he says is, I'm a Philistine. Now, I don't know what that means, but look what he does. He does the assumed clothes. I don't know who you are, but by the way, I'm a Philistine. As if that is something so good, you couldn't possibly be better than that. I don't know where you're from, but I'm from Edgewood. See, I don't know where you people come from, but if you come from, if you're a Pfeiffer, seriously? If you're a, is there a Pfeiffer back there? Yeah. If, if you're a, a, a Miltonian, seriously? If you're, seriously? If you're a Pulipician, come on. If you're a Sumneranian, come on. I'm from Edgewood. Do you even realize I'm from Edgewood? So he does this assumed clothes. You couldn't possibly be better than me. I am a Philistine. I am a Philistine. So let's come out and fight, he says. So he says, I want to know one thing. Is there a man among you? I mean, I see lots of males. But is there a man who wants to fight me? I see lots of guys, but I don't think I see any men. Come on. If there is one, bring them out. And here's the deal. If you win, you win big. But if I win, I get you, I get your children, I get your wives, I get your land, I get your livestock, I get your crops, I get everything. So who wants it? Bring it. That's what he's saying. So maybe you fought something like that. Because he doesn't come out just once. Goliath comes out again and again and again. He comes out 40 straight days talking the same smack, making them more and more afraid. And maybe you've run into something like that in your life, a giant in your life, a legal bill or a financial bill or a health situation or a relationship situation, and it doesn't go away. It's there every day, isn't it? Keep showing up. I heard someone say the other day they woke up and for like the first 10 seconds everything was perfect and then they remembered and everything came back. It's all back. For 10 seconds, they were at peace, and then they remembered. Maybe you've run into that situation, too. 
This is what they're facing day after day after day. It's back and it's worse than ever. Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch, Jesse says to his son, David, why don't you leave the sheep, take some food, go see your brothers who are on the battle lines, see how they're doing, and report back to me. Okay? So David says he'll do that. So let's jump down to verse 20 now. Early in the morning, David left the flock in care of the shepherd, loaded up and set out, as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up the lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine from Gath stepped out from behind his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. So write that down. David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So they show up nice and strong. They hear the, the, the warnings, and then they back away. They flee from the fear. So now, before we get too far, it's easy to read this and say, yeah, they were afraid and keep on going to forget, kind of think what they were like. But if you've ever been to war, if you've ever been in battle, you know what fear is like. You know what it's like to be afraid. Now, my son recently gave me a book. It's called The Things They Carry. It's a great book about Vietnam, and it does this really great job of describing, very descriptive book. But this is what it says about the soldiers. It says, for the most part, they were very strong. They carried themselves like soldiers, like strong soldiers. For the most part, that's the way they all were. But then he writes this. Now and then, however, there were times of panic when they squealed or wanted to squeal but couldn't. When they twitched and made moaning sounds and covered their heads and said, Dear Jesus, and flopped around on the earth and fired their weapons blindly and cringed and sobbed and begged for the noise to stop and went wild and made stupid promises to themselves and to God and to their mothers and their fathers, hoping not to die. Afterward, when the firing ended, they would blink and peek up. They would touch their bodies, feeling shame, then quickly hiding it. They would force themselves to stand as if in slow motion, frame by frame, the world would take on the old logic. Absolute silence, then wind, then sunlight, then voices. It was the burden of being alive. Awkwardly, the men would reassemble themselves, first in private, then in groups, becoming soldiers again. They would repair the leaks in their eyes. Some carried themselves with a sort of wistful resignation, others with pride or stiff soldierly discipline or good humor or macho zeal. They were afraid of dying, but they were even more afraid to show it. That's where these men were feeling. They're on the battle line every day. They're afraid for their lives. That's fear. We can't go past that too fast. Verse 25. Now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asking them, asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? See, he heard that too. He heard Goliath, but he heard this promise. And he asked again, what was it? And then he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Why does David not show fear? We've got soldiers showing fear, all of them. 
But why does David, the shepherd boy, not show any fear? Well, the answer is the first filling on your handout. And it's the same for David as it is for you. God has for you a place of preparation. Just like he did for David. Where did David come from? He came from the sheep, the sheep fields, right? Tending the sheep. This was not a position of prominence. It was not a position of honor. Was, there was no dignity to it. It was as low as you could go. Tending the sheep was the bottom rung. As low as you can go. And yet that's where God had placed him. That's where God put him. Now if this was a weekend retreat, we would stop right here. And I would send you out to the dock or to the meadow or to the cabin or to a place somewhere in the woods where you could be by yourself. Because I want you to answer these questions. Write these down. We don't have time now, but answer them later. Here's the first question. Where does God have you? Right now. Where does God have you? It's probably a place where you're feeling a little bit low. It's probably a place where you wonder what's next. It's probably a place where you're wondering what God has in store for you, or even where is God at all. It might be a place where you're working. It might be a sheep field where you're looking for work and can't find it. It might be your home where you're taking care of a husband and kids and nobody shows you any appreciation. It might be a place of wandering where you just finished something like high school and college and you're wondering what's next. It might be playing basketball in West Texas and you're wondering, surely I don't belong here. Is it possible that somebody could, yeah, maybe. Could be anywhere. Where is it? But it has a name to it. You have to be able to name it. So write down the name of that place. Because that's the place of preparation that God has for you. I know it's not glorious and grand, but that's where God has you. Question number two that you need to answer. What skills can you develop right where you are? In other words, wherever God has you, what skills can you develop? Whatever it is, whatever you're doing while you're there, be the best at it. I know it's not glorious, but be the best at it. That's where God has you. And you can't just do nothing. That's not an option. You can't just say, I'm here and drifting and waiting for God to do something. Where's God? No, you can't do that. God has you someplace. What can you learn? What can you do? What can you develop while you're there? And question number three. Are you willing to let God define you and not others? That's a yes or no question. But you have to answer honestly. Are you willing to let God define you and not everybody else and not your circumstances and not your situation and not your parents and not your past? Are you willing to let God define you? And the final one is what verses support or speak to you about God's definition of you? Don't know? Let me know. I will help you. You don't know? I've got tons of them here. If you go through the Bible, there are tons and tons of verses that define you in God's eyes. I'll just read a few of them here. I'm far from oppression and fear does not come near me. I know it doesn't feel like it, but that's how God defines you. I'm born of God and the evil one doesn't touch me. I have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. I have put off the old man and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him who created me. I can quench all the fiery darts of the enemy with my shield of faith. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. 
I am a new creature of Christ. I am a joint heir with Christ. I am more than a conqueror. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am not my own. I am his elect, full of mercy, kindness, humility, and long-suffering. I am forgiven of all my sins and washed in his blood. I am called of God to be the voice of his praise. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. It is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There's lots more. If you want this, I'll email it to you. These are just a few I found. There's tons more than this, but if you want this list, I'll send it to you. Give me your email after service. Are you willing to define, let God define who you are? David knew who he was because he, let, he knew who God was, and that's what mattered. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this? Because I know who my God is. I know he looks big to me and all that, and I know he's way better than I am. But I know who my God is. So who is this? That's really what David was saying there. Whoever he is, says David, is nothing compared to my God. Verse 28, when Eliab, David's, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. So David hears what will happen to the man who can defeat Goliath. And he likes the answers. Wealth, the king's daughter, no taxes for his family. And he asks again and again and again what the promise is. And his brother becomes very upset with him. And his brother says to him, What are you doing here, man? What? What do you think you're doing? You've got responsibilities at home. There's things you're supposed to be taking care of. Who's doing that while you're here? I'm just asking what's going on. Like, what the problem? You're not just asking. This is your pride. No. These are character issues. You're not here because of your own rebellion. Instead of taking care of stuff, you're down here because you want to see what's going to happen. No, I got somebody watching the sheep and all that stuff. Dad sent me down here. No, Dad's, Dad sent me. You need to get back home. Dad sent me down here. Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. I was just asking. So David has a choice. Does he listen to that? And does he cower? Or does he keep moving forward in spite of it? How many of you have somebody like that in your life? Yeah. That's the first time I ever got anybody to raise their hands. Yeah. <laughs> Circle the calendar. This is a great day. Yeah, we've all got people in like that in our lives who are telling us we're not worthy to be here. We don't belong here. And we have a choice. So what did David do? He's back at that point of preparation. He remembered all that stuff. Verse 29, Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. See, this is the best part of the whole story. You think it's where you think David killed Goliath? He didn't kill him, by the way. But you think that's where the best part of the story is? This is the best part of the story. Because look what he does here. David hears the promise from the king, King Saul. And he goes down the line and he says to everybody, I get wealth? That's right. I get his beautiful daughter? No way. 
My family's exempt from taxes. I get fame and fortune. Really, I get his daughter? Really, I get to marry his daughter and I get money? Really? And he goes down the line. And he's asking everybody what the promise was to the king. He heard it the first time, right? How come he goes down and asks everybody? Because he wants that promise over and over again. See, the, why this is the best part of the story is because you and I get that chance every single day to read God's promises from his book and to come down and ask men and women of faith if those things are really true. Wayne, is it true that I'm forgiven of all my sins? Really? All of them. What happens when I screw up again? He forgives me again? That's unbelievable to me. Adam, is it true that I can do all things that through Christ who strengthens me? Really? All things. Even defeat a Goliath? Unbelievable. can't believe that. Sandy and John, is it true that by his stripes I am healed? No, no, not I'm going to be healed. It says I already am healed. I am healed, but I feel kind of sick, but I am healed. He's healed me. Are you sure? John, John, does she know what she's talking about? It's unbelievable. Wow. Say, go down the line. I get to go down the line every day. Because when you're doubting it, his word, if you notice, you open it up, you notice it doesn't change. Every day you open it up, same promises. Really, when you doubt it, open it up. Because I'll sit next to you and I say, look, it's the same as it was yesterday. The words didn't change magically somehow. They're the same. So that's when you need to call up a friend, call up a legendary man or woman of faith in this church and have them confirm it for you. Go down the line and say, is this really true? Because it sure doesn't feel like it. That's why this is the best part of the story. Because you get to hear the promise of God every day and get it confirmed. You will have no doubts. Verse 31. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. So this is more discouraging news. It's someone else trying to speak into your life and saying, you're not worthy. You're only this. This is where the world's defining you. You're only a young person. You're only an old person. Look at Ray Wright. I'm going to Ghana. How many of us could have said, Ray, you're in a walker, buddy. Come on, man. How about Sumner? You know, let's start small. He says, I'm going to Ghana again. You're only this. You're only that. Write that down, too. Find out what people are saying about you. Don't just leave it in the back of your head. Put it down. This is what people say about me. This is what the world says about me. See, we're defined just like where we've come from. David knows where he came from and who he was in Christ, just like us. And so God brings David and you and me to our second point. God has for you a place of declaration. 
He has for you a point of preparation and a point of declaration. Verse 34, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and let the Lord be with you. I always wondered here why Saul let him go so quickly. Really, because if my whole life's on the line, I'm not sure I'm sending David. No offense. Okay, I'm not sure I'm sending the little young one Okay, out to fight my battle. But why did he do this? Think about this. The Philistines sent their best guy, Goliath. Who was the Israelites' best guy? Who was the tallest and the best and the strongest in Israel? It was King Saul. But he goes, oh, you want to go? God bless you. You know, that's what he did, right? You go. Okay, go ahead. That's why he did it. But David declared what he knew what was true. Where did David come from? Pastor Adam, what was the first answer? Where did he come from? From what? Where did he? Where was he, though? He was in the sheep fields. That's right. Where was he before that? Before that, you have to go back a chapter. See, before that, Samuel, the prophet, was coming to town. And he was looking for a new king. And he was directed by the Lord to go to Jesse's family. And he said to Jesse's family, bring me all your sons. Let's have a banquet. I'm going to anoint one of them the king. So Jesse got all his sons together, and the banquet was ready to go. And Samuel looked at the first one, Eliab. And he said, look how handsome this man is. Look how handsome he is. Where's Cindy? Look how handsome he is. Yes. Handsome man. He said, surely this must be the guy. And God said, no, that's not him. And then he went to the next son, and the next son, and the next son, and the next son. He went all the way down the line, all these sons. No, 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 no. And Samuel goes, I know God told me it was one of his sons. So he says to Jesse, do you have any more sons? And Jesse thinks, oh, yeah, I got the guy in the field. Right? I got David. I mean, you know, he's not worth much, but he's in the field. So they went and got him. And he must have come in dirty and sweaty and ugly and right. He must have just come in like that. And Saul said, this is the guy. And so, so, so Samuel anointed him king over Israel. Where did he go after he got anointed king over Israel? Back to the sheep fields. Yeah. So here's the point for you. And I do have one. Okay, the same is true for you. You've already been anointed a joint heir with Christ. I know you wrote down your sheep field that you're stuck in. But you have to remember, you've been anointed a joint heir with Christ. That hasn't changed. Just because you're in the sheep field, it just means your time may not be ready yet. God has you there for a reason. He has you there for a preparation. And you need to remember all those things while you're preparing. If you pray, keep a journal. I keep one that says prayers, and I keep one that says answered prayers. And I cross off the one list, and I write it in the other list. Because I like to go back to that answered prayer list, and I like to go through them. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. All those things I was worried about, sweating about, couldn't figure out what God was doing, answered, 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 answered. 
keep a list. That's preparation, because then you know the next time I put it on the prayer side, it's going to come over to this side pretty soon. Yeah, you got a tough one, give it to me, because I'll put it on my list. So I tell my kids, when you're on my list, you're on my list. And believe me, I, that prayer is going to get answered, because I'm going to stick with it until it gets answered. Okay? Not me, it's God doing it. Okay? So, we have to declare, I am a joint heir with Christ. Say that with me. I am a joint heir with Christ. One more time. I am a joint heir with Christ. Facing a sickness, say this for me. By his stripes, I am healed. That's a declaration. God has you in a place of preparation. God has you in a place of declaration. Declare it in spite of your circumstance. Declare it in spite of how you feel. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor, a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened the sword over the tunic, and he tried to walk around because he wasn't used to them. And he said, I can't go in these because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. And now here's the final point. God brings you and me to the final filling on your handout. God has for you a place of victory. God has a place of preparation, a place of declaration, and a place of victory. You think it's because David killed Goliath, but you'd be wrong about that. Stick with me. Then he, David, took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of a shepherd's bag, with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. He didn't stand still. He didn't retreat. He moved forward toward the enemy. He wasn't afraid because he understood the place of preparation. He didn't cower because he had already walked through the point of declaration. Now what happens? Verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield in front of him kept coming closer to David. Does that happen to you? You go to church, you read your Bible, you think you're doing all the right things, and that enemy keeps moving closer, it feels like. Closer. Wait, I'm doing the right stuff. How come, the, how come it feels like it's getting harder and harder? How come I'm battling it against it more and more? This is what happened to David. David moves out, but so does Goliath. He, Goliath, looked, over, looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you came with me as sticks? And the Philistines cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Thanks, Pete. Where's the victory? I thought you said we were at a point of victory doesn't feel like a point of victory. So what do you do in that circumstance? Well, you revert back to step two. Go back to that point of declaration. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He's not done. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head. Take that, buddy. That's right. I'll score 21 points on you before you even look up, man. This very day, I'll give your carcasses of the carcasses of the whole Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And I'm not done yet. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. The battle is not the Lord is the Lord. The battle is the Lord's and we will give you he will give you into our hands. The battle is the Lord's. Where did David find that? He just make that up off his head? Oh, no, he found it in God's Word, just like where we're supposed to find it. What's it say in Second Chronicles? 
He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at one end of the gorge of the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. That's where he got it. He wasn't out there just like roasting marshmallows. He was out there getting prepared. He knew God's word. Verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David quickly ran toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank deep into his forehead and he fell face down. See, Pete, David did kill Goliath. No, he didn't. Stick with me. Keep reading. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from its sheath, and he killed him, and he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw the hero was dead, they turned and ran. The men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines. David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistine's weapons in his own tent. So David did defeat Goliath. No, stick with me. Get the whole word from God here. Verse 55, as Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? And Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I do not know. The king said, find out whose son that is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, whilst David was still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked. And David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. Who was David? He was the son of Jesse. But let's go a little deeper. Let's look in Luke 3. Luke 3, verse 32. He was the son of Jesse, who was the son of Obed, who was the son of Boaz. And you keep going all the way down that list, and guess what you get? He was the son of Enosh. He was the son of Seth. He was the son of Adam. He was the son of God. He was a child of God, just like you are. Just like you and me. No different. You read this and you think David killed Goliath, but here's the truth. And let me call the worship team back up as I close with this. In the opening clip, one of the pastors said... With God of heaven, it is all one, to deliver with a great multitude or a small company. For the victory of battle stands not in the multitude of hosts, but strength cometh from heaven. See, David didn't defeat Goliath, but his preparation helped. And David didn't defeat Goliath, but his patience and faith made a difference. David didn't defeat Goliath, but he turned a corner with his declaration and his action. And David didn't defeat Goliath, but he showed strength by simply being obedient to God. God defeated Goliath. Just like he has already defeated your giants. For the victory of battle stands not in the multitude of hosts, but strength cometh from heaven. God has for you a place of preparation. He has for you a place of declaration. And he has for you a place of victory. Will you let God make a difference in your life? And if you don't know how, come speak to us after, after service. We would love to pray with you. I would be honored to pray with you. 
If you're struggling and you need prayer, there are people here who would love to pray for you. We'll be here after service. You don't have to do this alone. Wayne.